Well, it's certainly good to be back with all of you today. Um, I am looking forward to our time in the Word of God as we continue our look at the importance of the church, and more importantly, seeing the church the way that God sees it. Uh, I, I think it's helpful for us to to take that kind of perspective because sometimes when you're involved in the church so long, uh, you get you get kind of this misshapen view of who we are and what we're to do. And it's not like it's a terrible view. It's not like, you know, we're, we're doing things so far off course that we're in great danger. But I think it's helpful for us to, to pause and consider together uh, what it means from God's perspective that he has collected us to be a part of his family and he has called us his church. The church is a beautiful community of sons and daughters who have come to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, two weeks ago when we began this series, uh, we looked at a, a passage from the book of Ephesians that called us to consider that the church that God is built, building is not a physical building made with tangible uh, pieces, but the church that God is building is made with living stones, and that is us. He is building his household. That's how Paul framed it in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are God's household. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and more importantly, the cornerstone of this household is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's a beautiful household made up of people from all walks of life, from every place on earth, different races, backgrounds, likes and dislikes. But the commonality is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in him that we have been fit together as those living stones and we've talked about this before, but if you were to just take a minute and look around and you can do that if you want, um, don't stare at anyone. That's kind of strange, but, you know, look around and, and just see, you know, the, the different people that are just in this room, the different backgrounds that they have, the different professions, the different uh, likes and the different things that they don't care for. Just think about it in those terms of what else would bring this group of people together like we are together today than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We're fit together as God's household for eternity. That's what makes what takes place here in this community so precious. Because it's not something that is just filling the time for a certain amount of time and then we graduate to something else. What we are doing here is forever. We will be with each other forever. And whenever forever comes for us, we're going to catch a glimpse of something far greater than what we could ever understand here right now. Because in that moment, as we stand before the throne of grace, we will join the voices of myriads upon myriads of saints that have gone on before to sing the praises of our God. And the great thing about that togetherness is that in the forever in eternity, God will still call us his household. 
we will still be his family and we will be joined together through the common name of Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Dustin brought us to Colossians chapter one and called us to consider who's in charge of God's household. Now, it seems obvious, but it serves as a good reminder that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And it's in him and through him that all things are held together. And I love the, the, the beauty of what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 about how it's in Jesus all things are held together. Like the fact that you are sitting stable where you are isn't a result of gravity. It's a result of the Lord Jesus Christ holding you together and holding that pew together and holding the floor together and holding the foundation together and holding the ground together. It's Jesus that is holding everything together. That if Jesus were to cease to be present, the world would just explode apart. He truly is the one that holds all things together. It's certainly good to know that the sovereign king of the universe is the one in charge of his church. It's not just the pastors like me and Pastor Dustin or the elders that are in charge. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is head of his body. And we know that Jesus is alive, resurrected from the dead. And he is the one who sits in the place of authority of his church. It's our position to submit to his authority and to trust that the head of the body knows what is right and good for us to do. I mean, if you think about that in practical terms, if there was a part of your body that went rogue and tried to do its own thing apart from its brain, your brain, what would that cause? It caused chaos for the body. And in the same way with Jesus as head of the church, he gives uh, great, um, great purpose to what every part of the body does. And we work in harmony under his headship. We also learned last week that you can get a speeding ticket riding a horse through Washington, D.C., I thought that was fascinating. I don't know how they timed that. There was no radar back then. But, uh, you know, if you're riding a horse through town, just be careful. You keep your speed. But this morning, we want to build off this analogy of the body that Paul introduced to us in Colossians. We want to focus our attention to the place we all have in the body of Christ. Let me repeat that just so you can uh, be sure that you heard it. We want to take time to consider the place that we all have in the body of Christ. All of us. Every one of us. Specifically as it concerns our gifts and our abilities to serve within the body where Christ is the head. Now, I believe this is a critical message for us to consider this morning on a few levels. Uh, first, it's been my contention that many of God's people really don't know where they fit in the church. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years now. And I've seen a lot of people, a lot of God's people wrestle with and struggle with, where do I fit in? 
to the community that I belong to. And it's not that they don't attend church and participate in the worship services. But sometimes they get really stuck over, I see everyone, or I see a lot of people doing a lot of things. I I don't know how God has wired me. I don't know how I'm fit to be a part of this body. And so there might be some of you this morning that are struggling with what you think God wants you to do. And so I hope that through this passage, you begin to see, like, we're not going to solve anything this morning. By the time I say amen at the close of the service, you're not going to have it all figured out and ready to go. But hopefully it's the beginning of a process where you begin to see how God is graciously working in your life to fit you into the body of his son so that you can be used for God's glory. The second thing is, as we look into the scriptures, like we will see, um, maybe we will see for some of us the danger of doing too much. Kind of overextending yourself. And the, the warnings that can be there if you're doing too much in the body. The harm that that can cause to the overall body. And finally, and I believe most importantly, we see that Jesus is sovereign over the placement of all of us in his body. Jesus does a really good job of fitting us in his body. And what he has called us to do and what he invites us to be a part of. He's really good at putting people right where they need to be. He doesn't make mistakes. And so maybe we'll see um, we'll see the importance of where we fit and what he's wanting us to do. Every one of us who belong to Jesus by faith have been placed into his body for a special reason with a special gift so that the whole body of Christ will benefit. Now, if you, if you haven't yet, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we're going to spend the, the majority of our time considering uh, these truths within this passage here. Um, and as you turn there, some of you might remember, if you were here last week during the communion meditation, Pastor Dustin drew our attention to these verses in 1 Corinthians 12 as we prepared for the Lord's table. And, and so I want to build upon that. And, and what I'd like us to do is to consider the implications of what Paul is teaching as it concerns where we belong in his body. Now, all of what Paul says concerns how we relate to one another in the greater context of the community. First Corinthians 12 is how we relate to each other. It's how we should understand each other. Now, this community of faith that we belong to is called the church. The word church goes through some translations throughout the last 2,000 years when the New Testament is written, but it comes at its root from a Greek word that is called ekklesia. And this Greek word is used 
Uh, it's a compound word coming from two words, ek and kaleo, meaning called out ones. So when you read about the church in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, used a term to describe the people that belong to Jesus as the called out ones. We've been called out of a life of sin and living in a world of darkness and called in to a relationship with God's son. We are simply the called out ones. Now, I bring this to your attention because I think we often misuse the term church. We often say, I went to church today. Or my church is found at the corner of 934 and Hill Church Road. Or, hey, you should go to church with me. But there's a danger in using phrases like that. Because in so doing, we replace the mystery and the beauty of the, of the family of God with an address on a map. A building that we go to. A place where we attend. Levi, can you put the mouse in the software? The church isn't a place that we attend. It is a community that we belong to. So today, right now, you are at the designated place, this faith community set aside for worship and instruction. Right? We worship God together. We're teaching through the scriptures together in a collective way as, as we sit under the authority of God's word, under the leadership of the local church that, that Jesus has placed. But it's not that we're just the church on a Sunday morning because we're here. You're not at the church. You are the church. 1 Corinthians 12 helps us to understand that the church is more than a building. It's an interconnected living organism where each individual person has a purpose and a place. And when all who belong to the body understand their purpose and place, the body is strong and will be able to fulfill its design that its creator has given to it. And so we look into this text this morning, we're going to highlight the, some general truths, and then at the end of the passage that we're going to look at, we're going to t- take some more time to consider the implications of those truths. And so I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read to you verses 4 through 7. Paul writes this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, the general truth that Paul wants to teach this church in Corinth is very important for them to understand that there is a variety in their body. There's a variety in their local church. They're not all the same. And that was important for the tr- this church in Corinth because if, if you spend any time reading and studying through 1 Corinthians, you understand this church was a mess. It was divided. It was fractured. It was broken. They were dividing in chapter 1 over where their baptism came from. 
You know, some were baptized by this person and others were baptized by this person. And Paul's like, that's nonsense. Like Paul said, I, I, I don't even want to be included in that kind of list because we're all in Christ. And so they had a, a lot of issues relating well to each other, sharing community. They were divided over the use of the gifts, which is what we're going to consider this morning. They prioritized some gifts over other gifts and thought that if you had these gifts, you were more important than these people without these gifts. And there were fractures and schisms within their local fellowship. And so Paul writes to warn them, but he also writes to them to consider the beauty of the body that they belong to. Now, there are a variety, as Paul says in verse four, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects. Now, some of those varieties are mentioned verses eight through ten for to one given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another, the effect of miracles and to another prophecy and to another of the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So that's part of the variety of the gifts. But what's interesting in here in 1 Corinthians 12 is the list that, uh, of gifts that Paul mentions here isn't a total list. We find other lists in Romans and in other passages in the New Testament. And, I, and, and just briefly, because I don't have enough time to develop this, there are certain gifts that were used for a certain time. They were more on the miraculous end. The gifts of prophetic utterance. The gifts of miracles and healings and tongues and the interpretation of tongues. They were used in the, the early church to uh, give credence of the message of the gospel. But as the New Testament was completed, we see that God gave us all that we need to know about life and faith with him. And those gifts died out. And we already begin to see that as you read through the New Testament, because it's the later letters of Paul, especially who wrote about the gifts, like in first Corinthians, when he writes to Timothy and he writes to Titus and he's writing to two pastors and two different churches about how they should shepherd God's people. He mentions some of the gifts, but he doesn't mention any of these miraculous gifts. It's like they already were dying out in the use of the local church. But here in 1 Corinthians, these gifts were important to help um, substantiate the message of the gospel as the church in Corinth was preaching the gospel. And so Paul mentions them here because they were active in that time, but they're not active today. Now, you might say, well, pastor, I came from a church background where they were active. Or I know a Christian that has express that they have these certain gifts that you're telling me are not active. And I would just say to you, um, we agree to disagree in the activity of those gifts um, because they, they are often today used more of a distraction than they are for an edification. Um, and, and we could spend a long time talking about those things. But I mention that here because it's in the text. So getting back to this list and the varieties of the gift, what we need to understand is if you put all the lists together, you could come up with, I think, around 20 gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. I, I would say this. 
and I, I want to be careful in saying this, um, uh, I would just say that I don't think that the list of the gifts are given to be an exhaustive list. I I think that what Paul is teaching us primarily in the use of these gifts that are given to the church, that there are things that God puts in us that he wants us to use for his glory. You have a spiritual gift. I don't know if you've considered that, but... This is what Paul teaches. But to each one, verse 7, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have a spiritual gift. You at least have one. You might have a few. What do I mean by a spiritual gift? Well, I mean this. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability that He gives you at the moment of your salvation for the benefit of the church. So let's just stop there and consider that statement. It is a God-given ability at the moment of your salvation. You didn't have this gift before you became a believer. You didn't. You couldn't. Because it wouldn't be a spiritual gift. It would be an, an ability or a talent that you have. But a spiritual gift is given to you at the moment of your salvation. But notice, it's not given for you. God doesn't give these gifts so that you can say, Wow, look at the gifts I have. God gives a spiritual gift to you so that the church could benefit by the giftedness that you have. And so God expects that we would use these gifts to strengthen one another. And so if you understand what your spiritual gifts are this morning, understand this. As you exercise those gifts in your life, you don't do it for yourself. You do it for the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you. You do it for the common good of the community. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I would invite you to consider the importance of discovering what they are so that you can be using what God has given you so that the church can be stronger. Now, verse 4 calls these gifts in the Greek Uh, The word is used charisma. Some in the church, as I said before, wrongly believe that these gifts only refer to what are called charismatic gifts. But I think we have a wrong understanding of that word when we use it in those ways. This word charisma that is used for gift at its root is the word charis, which is grace. All spiritual gifts are charisma gifts. All spiritual gifts is a grace gift from God. Some kind of ability that you do not deserve, nor could ask for, to help strengthen the body of Christ. A Christian who is not using their gifts in the local body hinders the overall ability of the body. It's like last week at the softball tournament. I kind of heard that Pastor Dustin mentioned that some people had a tougher time than others playing softball. I was one of those. So I went in. I I, I went with the the aspiration of 
I don't need to play at least three softball games. I don't need to prove anything. I'll just go and hang out with the guys. Well, you know, we had an injury at at one at bat, and they brought me in and said, hey, you're going to bat for this person. And so for game one, I, you know, took the, the batter, batter's box and I put the ball in play and for a guy that doesn't exercise a whole lot I'm running dead sprints from home plate to first base three or four times throughout the game and and I just felt like wow my left leg doesn't feel as good as it did when I got to the field and so my quad got a little tight and and you know, it, it didn't go away overnight. I mean, ibuprofen and ice and like, I'm 44 years old. I shouldn't be feeling like this. And, and so, you know, I'm taking my dog for a walk this week, like yesterday. And we're, you know, my dog is a basset hound who likes to hunt rabbits. And so we go right at twilight when the rabbits come out and she sees them in our neighborhood and darts right after them. And I'm just like doing everything that I can to hold on to this dog. But, you know, it helped me to understand something about this picture about the body of Christ. When a part of my body isn't working, the whole body suffers. My quad was a little tight. And I'm hopping along hoping I don't fall on my face. It's kind of like that in the body of Christ when we don't understand and use our gifts because the body isn't able to reach its full potential. For some of you, I bet most, it's not a matter of willfully not using your gifts. You're not sitting there saying, I know what my gifts are and I'm not using them here at this church. It's not that, but rather not knowing what your gifts are. You agree that God gives them, but you may not know what they are. Now, about 40 years ago, it was really popular to take a test through a series of diagnostic questions. You could answer some things and determine what your giftedness could be, your potential giftedness could be. And we use some of those tests. Like if you attend our membership class, we hand that out and it's, it's a helpful guide. Uh, but let me tell you what the best way is to determine what your God-given abilities to serve in the body of Christ is. Serve. Serve God. You want to discover what your spiritual gifts are? Serve God. Just be willing to, to, to be used by him in the body of Christ. Get plugged in, whether it's greeting someone at the door, praying for the requests that come through our prayer chain, giving your resources for the sake of the ministry and tithes and offerings, whether it's teaching our kids, our teens, adults, organizing a ministry, serve on a ministry committee, go on a missions trip. I mean, the list is endless. You know, for a church even our size, we have a lot of opportunities to get plugged in and to use the gifts that God has put inside of you. But I would say to you, the most important thing that you can do is be ready to serve, be ready to try and be ready to say, okay, maybe I'm not wired for that. That's okay. But you're not going to know what your gifts are if you aren't exercising yourself and making yourself available to be used by God. And I would say this too, right? 
um, for those that have the gift of prayer to pray for people, to pray for ministries and, and, and to just it's a, a God given ability to, to lead people in prayer and to encourage people through prayer and all those things like you can have the gift. But if you don't have the gift, does that mean you don't get to you shouldn't pray? Or there's a gift of giving like some people are wired to give to God. And God uses them very well for the kingdom through their gifts. But if you don't have that gift, does that mean that you shouldn't set aside your resources for the use of God's kingdom? No. So even if you don't have the gift, you're still called to serve God in different ways. Don't be afraid to serve. The key is to be active. Listen, don't wait to serve until you determine what your gifts are. Just serve God. And along the way, what you're going to find is God's people are going to confirm what your giftedness is. As you serve God and make yourself available in different ways in the body of Christ, people are going to come alongside of you and encourage you and fan the flame of that gift that is in you and say, wow, I'm so appreciative to God for what he is doing through you. Because we know these gifts are not for us. They're for the people that we serve. Verses 11 through 13 say this, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Let me just pause there for a second and consider this. These gifts are given by God. The spirit distributes to each one individually, just as he wills. What you are supernaturally gifted to do in the body of Christ is in accordance of the will of God. It is God's will that you have the gifts that you have. What that means is don't worry about wanting a gift that you may not have. You know, say, you know, God, I would serve you if I just had that other gift that I know I don't have. Or envying a gift that another fellow Christian is exercising. God has given you exactly what he wants you to have. Go on and discover what it is and use it for his glory. Paul's point in verse 12 and in verse 12, he says, for even as the body is one and yet as many members and all the members of the body, though they are many are one body. So also is Christ for for by one spirit, we were all baptized in the one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. So Paul's point here in these verses is that we should be unified together, though we are one body, but that in the body, there is a beautiful diversity. Each one of us is different and unique. Let me ask you a question and please be kind in your response. Aren't you thankful that the church is not full of people just like me? Please be kind. Paul clarifies this thought in verses 14 through 27, and this is where we want to spend the bulk of our time. He uses the analogy of the human body to teach us the wonderful gift of the uniqueness and interdependency in the body of Christ. Remember, Christ is the head. He's the one that is in charge. And there is only one head. 
But under his control, there is a body that is diverse and unique, full of people from different backgrounds. And Paul just highlighted that in verse 13, coming from the background of Jew and Greek. Same from Ephesians 2, as Paul said that we were called Jew and Greek to be living stones in the household that God is building. Everyone who belongs to the household of God have been made one through the gift of the cross. And so this is what Paul says in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Let me say it this way. For the church is not one person, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason and any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. The body is not one member, but many. That doesn't mean church membership in an official sense for voting procedures and greater accountability. But it does mean that each one of us in Christ equally belong to the body. And then he talks about the parts of the body, right? A foot and a hand and an eye and an ear. And here's the point. Each part of Christ's body needs to be content where they are and the job that they are called to do. In each situation of life, there will be parts of the body that will be lesser and greater. Like right now. In your life. There are certain parts of your body that have greater importance right now for what you're doing in this worship service. Hearing the word of God. Your ears are really important right now. Your feet... Not so much. Right? Lesser, greater. But it's not like your feet are sitting there right now saying, man, I really wish I could be an ear. But that sometimes happens, right? When I wrote my sermon, my eyes were really important. My fingers were incredibly important as I typed. But as I wrote, as I said, my feet weren't worrying about what they were doing as they were sitting idly by. When I try to play golf, there are a lot of parts working or trying to at least, but my tongue or nose aren't complaining. Hey, why am I not involved in this process of hitting a golf ball? Listen, Paul's point is to stop looking around at what everyone else does and think that they are doing something greater and you wish you could be like them. Discover what God has put in you and use it because the whole body needs you to use your gift. And then Paul says in verses 19 and following, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable on these, we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. 
whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for each other. You may want to highlight verse 25. That's the point for this imagery of the body. This is the point that Paul is making so that there would be no division in the body and that all the members of the body are cared for. That's why he goes to such great detail explaining what eyes and ears and hands and feet and all that do in the body of Christ. Listen, there will be times in your life when you feel like an appendix or a tonsil. Like, I'm here, but I could be removable. Like, I don't really need to be here. Or maybe a belly button. You think, well, I was used at one point. What do I do now? You may think some parts are being bestowed more abundant honor. And those who are more prominent could think, I have no need of an appendix or a tonsil. Like, you can be in your lane serving God and, and think, hey, I'm good. I don't need anyone else. I'm just going to keep doing and doing and doing. And if that happens in the body of Christ, then we're in great danger. Just think about all that goes into making just a Sunday morning worship service happen. From organizing the service to putting the bulletin together to opening the church, to greeting people, to practicing the music, making sure all the tech stuff works, having a safe place for our babies and children to go to, curriculum to teach, drinks afterwards, and the list goes on and on. There's a lot that goes on to making our church happen on a Sunday morning. And each person that is involved in that process are a gift to the body. And so what does Paul say? Well, he says in verse, the second part of verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for each other. This is a big deal. We are put together the way that we are by God so that every one of us could be cared for. The reason why you have a spiritual gift is so that the body of Christ could be cared for. And when you don't exercise your spiritual gift, the care for the church is lacking. That's really important for us to consider. Because I, I really think that changes our motivation of why we would serve God. Listen, I don't want you to hear in this message and all of this talk about using your gifts and serving God. The pastor Todd said that you have to get involved in ministry here. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is what a gift you are to the church. And when you use the gifts that God has given you, our church is healthy. We're cared for in the exercise of those gifts. And the great thing about it is you have those gifts forever. You don't retire from using those gifts. They may change in the way you exercise them as life changes. But if you have the gift of teaching, which is a gift, it doesn't mean that after you reach a certain age, you can say, I'll stop using that gift. No, that gift is still needed 
for the betterment of the body of Christ. The exercising of your gifts strengthens the church as a whole. Now, verse 26 says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, how many of you have ever considered the wonderful diversity and uniqueness of the human body? If you haven't, or it's been a long time, when you go home, go into your bathroom, shut the door, look at yourself in the mirror, and after you laugh for, for a little bit, consider the marvel of the body that God has made. It truly is amazing how it all works together with such symmetry. And we often don't think about it until something doesn't work right. Like our pinky toes. When was the last time you thought about your pinky toe? Except right now, because now all of you are thinking about your pinky toes. But we don't think about that little toe at the end of our foot, right? But when you drop wood on it, carrying it into your house for your fireplace, like I did in our last house, you think a lot about your pinky toe. It's always on your mind. Because how can something so small create such pain for the rest of your body? But it's that kind of thing of what Paul is saying here. When the pinky toe suffers, the rest of the body suffers. When one of us is hurting, we all hurt. When one is honored, we all rejoice. There is a beautiful interconnectedness as a safeguard to avoid boasting on one end and complaining on another. We rejoice together and we weep together. Verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You are Christ's body. We are Christ's body. All of us who are in Christ are Christ's body. And and each one of us individually belongs to that body. That means that you, me, us, matter to the church and matter to the ministry. Now, it's interesting in what Paul does here, because when he wrote this letter in Corinth, he didn't write the chapters, right? We add those in for our help. Right after this discussion about the gifts and the the amazing interconnectedness of the body and to use those gifts and discover what they are for the benefit of the of the church. Where does Paul go next in first Corinthians? Well, he says in chapter 13, verse one. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol with the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. He highlights gifts that he mentioned in the list in chapter 12. And he says, you can have those gifts. You can have many gifts. You can be used by God in mighty ways. But if you're missing one thing, you're just wasting your time. If you do not serve God in the community that he's called you to with love. You're just a noisy gong. It's crazy to me to think that we spend so much time maybe, you know, having like this list of what our gifts are and like just keep putting it in front of people at times and think, look how important I am. Like without me, 
Let's just use me as an example. Without me, this church couldn't go on. Right? You can get in that kind of mindset. Here's the wonderful thing about what God does in the Lokerch. He promises that the church will continue on. And he will rise up people in every generation to make that happen. In the use of our gifts and the giving of those gifts, the important thing to understand is that he doesn't give them so we can pat ourselves on the back. He, he gives them so that we can strengthen one another. And when you can't use your gifts anymore, God will cause someone else to come to use their gifts. He will preserve his church. But we do it in love. So the question that the sermon title is from, where do I fit in God's family? Let me give you the answer that Paul gives. Right where God has placed you. That's where you belong. And know that as he has placed you in the body, God has also gifted you with all that you need to serve him. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. You have a tear off slip in your bulletin. Put your name some way I can contact you. Phone number, email, whatever. Just write on it. Help me discover my gifts. Put it in the offering box. And it's not going to happen overnight. There's no quick way to discover them, but it may mean we will ask you to consider to serve in different ways as you discover your gifts. And no matter what our giftedness is, what we do for the sake of the body of Christ does strengthen the church. Can I also ask you to be sensitive to the needs that we have in the ministry as you read your bulletin, hear the announcements come through, all those kinds of things. And for those that are serving, and sometimes you feel like it goes unnoticed, I would like to say two things to you. First, God notices. He notices what you're doing behind the scenes when no one else is looking. Keep serving him. And second, I would just like to say thank you. Thank you for serving God so faithfully in what you're doing, using your gifts to strengthen the body of Christ here. Thank you for being faithful in what God has put in you to strengthen us. Can I ask you all a favor today? Whether or before you leave this place of worship, thank someone that is serving Christ in this church. Whether it's the worship team, the sound techs, the salt teachers, our children's ministry workers, those who greeted you, those who are watching the doors and keeping us safe, those who prepared and cleaned up for the coffee and the refreshments, thank someone today for being willing to use the gifts that God has given them to strengthen our church family. And may God be glorified as we use what he has given us to serve one another. Let's pray.